Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by our special guest speaker. I don't, we're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 9. I, sometimes I use the Reader's Digest, but today I'm going to use the Bible, okay? Uh, I don't preach long, but I will say back at our church in Los Angeles, they sometimes are outside with placards saying, free the hostages, okay? <laughs> so uh, if I hear some amens, though, we'll be okay. We'll get out of here in time to, to you know, eat chicken at Cracker Barrel. Amen? Amen. Will you be my neighbor? You know, I know this is out of context, but you know, Jesus said it's better to... Be the giver than to be the, uh, the taker. Jesus. Better to give than to receive, right? Yes. And not only is it important for us to have good neighbors, and God does have good neighbors. In fact, I told Pastor Tom the other day, the one thing that I have that is better than yours is neighbors. <laughs> you have to think about that for a minute. I have better neighbors than he does. Um, but not only is it good to be a... You know, it's, Jesus said it's better to be the giver, not the taker. So it's not only good to be a good neighbor, but it's, or to have a good neighbor, but it's also very important for you and I to learn how to be really good neighbors. Amen? So I didn't, I didn't get an amen. I'm, I'm getting panicky up here. And, and so I want to talk to you about that for just a little bit. Um, um, I want to tell you a little, real quick about your pastor. Most of you probably see him up here muscles and in Greek and Hebrew, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, two, two things. One is Deb and I, my wife and I, we had the virus way back in the beginning of March. We had been to a large wedding and a lot of people got it. And uh, uh, we were real sick. We were quarantined. And Pastor Brenda uh, made, I think it was a Cuban dish that was absolutely out of this world. And Pastor Tom brought us a, a food and medicine, and then when our taste buds was coming back, he brought us a dozen uh, Krispy Kreme donuts. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. And you can tell by looking at me, I didn't shy away from that box at all. Um, and then, then recently, we had to be away for a couple months for my mother-in-law uh, uh, passing away. And uh, Pastor Tom called me up and uh, mowed, mowed my grass. And you have to understand, we have, almost, we have five acres. It takes four hours to mow our grass. And your pastor, who's as busy as a one-armed paper hanger, mowed our grass for us, you guys. Can somebody say amen? Now, that's a good neighbor. Can you say amen to, to that? And so whatever we do today is subject to him and his authority. I do want to say it's really good to have my family here. It's more coincidence uh, my mom is a prayer warrior. She's here. My wife is here. My, I got two daughters that are here. My sister's here. My brother-in-law, who's the best brother-in-law in the world, is here. And I got two of the best son-in-laws in the world right here today. Can you say amen to that? They're in town for a special family thing, and it's good to have you guys. And, and uh, uh, so if you would, let's turn to 2 Samuel. I want to talk to you a little bit. Will you be my neighbor is the, is the series, but... Um, I actually wrote a little book about, by the way, I got to say this is in my head. Uh, since I get free donuts and free medicine and free food, I've decided to go ahead and fake the virus one more time <laughs> so Pastor Tom can, and Brenda can take care of us a little while longer, you guys. <laughs> is that all right? I can lie. Uh, you know, you can get forgiveness later. But I want to talk to you, uh, I wrote a little book on this subject uh, many years ago, 2001, um, and, uh, and it's kind of, there's much I have to leave out, but it's, it's uh, really uh, kind of the theme of my life. But in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9, uh, we're going to read probably right now for the, the first three or four verses. It says, and David said, is there yet any that is left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they called him unto David, the king said unto him, Are you Ziba? And he said, Yes, I am. And the king said, Is there not yet any in the house of Saul that I may show 
the kindness of God unto him. And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan has yet a son, which is lame on his feet. For anybody that may not know, Jonathan was Saul's son, and um, they're the same family, and, and, which is lame on his feet. In verse 4, and the king said unto him, well, where is he? And Ziba said unto him, to the king, behold, he is in the house of Makar, the son of Emil, in Lodabar. The king sent and fetched him out of the house of Makar, the son of Emil, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and had made reverence, and reverenced him. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, yes, I'm your servant. And David said, you don't need to fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all of the land that Saul, your father, owned, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. And I'd like for you, if you would, just to underline that last word there, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Uh, I did get the assignment. I appreciate Brother Pastor Matt. Man, didn't Pastor Matt do awesome last week on Ezekiel? The, oh, my goodness. Uh, whew. Uh, and I appreciate his transparency about not really wanting or feeling dialed in about watching Mr. Rogers. I mean, I grew up in a house. So I had two daughters and a wife, and when we would play family games, it was terrible because... I, and it took me, I was, it was like the girls were grown before I figured out what was wrong. They wanted to play Pictionary and stuff where you'd open up and talk to one another and feely. I wanted a game where you could crush somebody or kill, you know, let's play Monopoly. And I, you know, we're playing Monopoly and my wife about divorced me. I found a Monopoly game in the trash can because I've got all hotels and I'm going to crush everybody. And I figured out that... Uh, as a, as a father and a husband, you, you, we're not built the same. Can you say amen? So when we pick our movies, I know Pastor Matt, he picks movies where people get shot and killed and stuff. And Mr. Rogers didn't shoot anybody. <laughs> not that we know of. But there's two themes that I got out of the movie. I, I'm an obedient servant, and so Pastor Tom said, watch it. So I watched it. And, um, and here's what I got from Mr. Rogers. It, you know, it's depicted on, it's a true story. It's based on a true story. But what I got out of, I got two messages is one is that you matter, that everybody that came into his life mattered to him, even when they had attitude. You know, they come to him bitter and angry, broken, messed up, and he wouldn't respond to them in that, in like fashion, but he would just continue to pour out uh, acceptance and so I got two messages out of his lifestyle or his character, and that is that one is that you matter, the second is that you are welcome in my life. Or, you know, that's what we call neighbors, right? You're welcome here. He, he knew how to open up his heart and receive people, even when they weren't yet ready or deserving of that. And, and so Mr. Rogers' message to me was... Uh, he was not going to react to people's flesh or their, their brokenness or their, you know, the areas that they needed, healing or deliverance, but he was going to love them through to the place that God had for them. Amen? And so if you haven't watched this, the, the movie, I, I do recommend the movie, even though nobody gets shot in it. You can get Hang em High later or Good, Bad, and the Ugly or Rocky or something later. Uh, but so in this passage here, we, we, uh, all of these names are significant. Nothing in scripture is by coincidence. God's Holy Spirit guided this thing. But in verse one, we, we see uh, David saying, I want, I want to find out if there's anybody in the house of Saul that I could show him uh, kindness for God's sake. But then when you look in verse 3, he actually says it a little bit different. And the king said, is there not any of the house of Saul that I might show him the kindness of God? Wow. Everybody say kindness of God. Kindness. That I might show him the kindness of God. Now, there's a guy standing there named Ziba. And he, he says, yes, there is one. Uh, he is Saul's grandson. His name is Mephibosheth, uh, but yet, you know, he's crippled. He's lame. And how many know that in the Bible days, lame and shame went together? Yeah. Come 
And in fact, we'll see that as we break open this story. And David says to the Ziba, he says, now where, where is he? And he says, well, he's over in Lodabar. And all, none of this really makes a, a big dent in our intellect till we go back and we start looking up what these names mean. And, and, and so here's Mephibosheth, he's, he's over in Lodabar, and David says, well, go get him. So Ziba goes, gets him, brings him back, and, and David begins to throw out the welcome. He, he, begins, he says, I want you to come. I'm going to restore the stuff that's been stolen from you. Is anybody tracking with me yet? Yes. He said, I'm going to give back to you the things that were taken from, your, from Saul and your family. And, and he says, and I want to invite you to my table... And, 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 and then this story ends down in verse 13, I think, with, with, uh, with, the, with the writer of the, of the scripture saying, and Mephibosheth shared, he lived the rest of his life in Jerusalem, the city of our God, can you say amen, no longer Lodabar, and, and he sat at the king's table continually from there on out. And in this, I, I, see, uh, I see a buried, uh, um, I guess you might call it an analogy, but really, I think it's prophetic. And, and how many know that there's a lot of screwed up people in this world? <laughs> I mean, he's living with one. No, I'm just kidding. That's not where you say amen, okay? But, but David's purpose is, is I want to show them, I want to bring him, I want to show him the goodness or the kindness of God. Can I just stop right here and say, there's our mission. There's our mission, you guys. This is what we're all about, is extending the invite to the broken. Come on. Amen. And and, and telling them how to get to the king's table. Now, Satan's on a mission as well. Satan's mission is to make sure you never sit at your father's table. That's what he wants to do. I just loved last week when Pastor Matt took it in the direction of you got to be a father at home first. Because, you know, you can't, I, I've had people over the years say that they were going to be a missionary to Philippines and stuff. And I said, well, you, you know, you're praying for Philippines? No. Do you, are you learning the language? No. Have you ever visited there? No. Do you know any, do you even eat Filipino food? No. And I said, you're not going to the mission field. And then I ask them, uh, uh, do you cross the street and, and, and talk to your neighbors about the Lord? No, I don't know them either. Listen, folks, if you can't do it at home, you ain't going to do it. It's not crossing the sea that makes a missionary, it's seeing the cross. Can you say amen? Right? Right? And, and so uh, your kids know you at home, your wife, uh, your wife knows you at home, and, and if it doesn't work at home, don't export it. Can you, can you say amen to that? <laughs> I remember one Sunday morning, I was... I, you know, a uh, little secret about pastors, when they preach, sometimes they think they did really good, and other times they think they really crashed and burned. You know, there's been Sundays where I would go home, pull the covers up over my head and say, oh God, get me out of this. You know, it's got to be somebody better. But one day I thought I was really hot, and I was driving home from church. I mean, we weren't even two blocks from the church, and I, I was fishing out a compliment from my wife, Deborah. And she, I said, well, so what do you think of the message today? And she said, well, mm. she said, well, I really don't know. I, I wasn't listening. <laughs> I said, what do you mean you weren't listening? <laughs> and she said, well, I know how you live at home. <laughs> She's just kidding, because I'm a saint at home, you know. Never do anything wrong. Uh, <laughs> But if it doesn't work at home, let's don't export it. Amen. And Pastor Matt took us in that with Ezekiel and and down the road of fathers and fatherhood and and I I just love that subject because I found a father and that loves me. Can you say amen? I was a little late in life when I really discovered it. You know, maybe your dad was sending all the right signals or even the wrong signals. But that doesn't mean it registered. It doesn't. The Father gives us our identity. The Father gives us the blessing. The Father tells you, uh, establishes your value and all that kind of stuff. And how many know in this life, a lot of times things go wrong between you and, and your earthly father. But we have this heavenly father. You ever notice that as far as I know, and our theologian's probably watching at home right now, so help me, Jesus. He's, he's looking up the Hebrew right now. 
But I'm just <laughs> How many know Pastor Tom can be intimidating? Because he knows what he's talking. I can bluff you guys, but man, he knows. <laughs> um, but uh, so, you know, I, as far as I know, except for one place where David alluded to it, in the Old Testament, they never knew God as Father. They, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, God the Creator, God Almighty. He had a lot of El, Elohim, El Shaddai, you know, you name it. But I don't know of anywhere in the Old, in the Old Testament I've got to make this fast, help me Jesus, where they called him father or referred to him or, 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 or recognized him as their heavenly father. And then here's Jesus in Luke chapter two. He, he's 12 years old and he's, he's mesmerizing and, and, uh, the, the, the intelligentsia of the day, telling him all about, and, and his parents come, what are you doing? He said, well, don't you know, I must be about my Come on, say it with me. My father's business. Jesus knew exactly who he was because he knew who his daddy was. Can you say amen? amen? And so then there's silence for the next 13 years. And we don't hear much out of any really thing out of Jesus. And, and so can you imagine uh, from, was it 12? I have to do the math here. Make sure. Y'all, 18 years. Um, here's Jesus now. He's at 12. He knows what he is. But he's got to listen to these Pharisees get it wrong for the next X amount of years and keep his mouth shut. And then finally at the wedding in Cana, mom says, hey, you can go now. You can launch your ministry. So Jesus does the miracle of the turning the water into wine and he's off and running. He's adult now, 30 years old, started his ministry. And then the next thing you see, he's at the Sermon on the Mountain. And, and, and I think there's significance to this. Out of his mouth, he, he says it like this. He says, I'm going to paraphrase. For the last 18 years, I've heard the Pharisees tell you the wrong thing. I want to tell you that you have a father in heaven. He's not God Almighty. He's not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of yesterday. He is your father who's loving you and reaching out to you. And I am here to be a, a, a model of what he's like. Can you say amen? And so, you know, he said, well, the Pharisees say this, but your father says this. And the Pharisees say that your father says this. And what Jesus said is, I have come to reveal to you what the father is like. Yes. Amen. I got to stay off of that. That's as far as I can go. But I want you to know that there is a king's table over here of delicacies, delights, things that we can enjoy. It's a God that gives you streams in the desert. Can you say amen? Yes. And so here's, here's, here's the breakdown of, of these words. First of all, Ziba. Well, David. You know, everybody relates to David. If you're a screw-up, you can relate to David, right? <laughs> if you're anointed, you can relate to David. If you're a psalmist, you can relate to David. If you went from rags to riches, from obscurity to prominence, you can relate. I almost, if you're a shepherd and you love, you know, you want to take care of people, you can relate to David. It's amazing uh, David, but in this passage here, what David is is, is exuding is, is is love and care for someone he doesn't even know. Now, here's how significant this is. Jonathan was David's closest friend. Bible says they loved each other like brothers. Can you say amen? amen. And yet, here's David, the king of the uh, of the place. Saying, is there anybody uh, alive that's related to, he said Saul, but you understand they spoke about the whole house. And, and so David didn't even know about Mephibosheth. Now, here, Ziba in the Hebrew means station or stationed. Hang on to that for just a minute, right? So when David finally asked the question, is there anybody still left in the house of Saul that I might show them, in the verse three it says this way, that I might show him the goodness of God. And, 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 and so Ziba, who is stationed where he needs to be, when he needs to be there with the information that needs to be made known. Can you say amen? Track with me here. He's stationed right where he needs to be. I'm telling you, the sovereignty of God is amazing. Uh, you know, people, you know, the scripture says that God knew your address before you were even born. Somebody say amen. 
You know, we didn't know what that meant until we discovered DNA. And now we find out every one of us have an individual address. And sometimes people say, well, God couldn't know all the details of your life. Listen, there's a computer over there called the Summit in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, that computes 200,000 trillion, uh, uh, what do you call them, uh, pieces of information per second. Fastest computer in the world. If man can build a computer like that, can you imagine what the mind of God can do? Come, somebody say amen. And so he knows our frame. He knows right where we're at, sister. At any given moment in our life, regardless of how things have gone for you this week. Can you say amen? Can I tell you something? God is not afraid of COVID-19. In fact, I think it's time for the body of Christ to not be afraid. We need to stand up and let our wellness jump off on their sickness. Yeah. Uh, uh, what happened there? <laughs> okay, so Zippus, he's by the providence of God, he's stationed. When David asked the question, and, and, and he said, oh yeah, there is one, his uh, Mephibosheth, but you don't want him. He's, he's lame. And then if you go back a few chapters you find out how he got lame. His caretaker, his 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 nurse. When the when the violence started and the war started and they're all uh, you know the battles are raging, she picks him up in a in an emergency and she rushes. And as she's rushing out, this child that she's supposed to be taking care of, she she somehow or another she drops and breaks him. His legs are both broken and he becomes permanently uh, uh, crippled from that time. Anybody tracking with me that there are people in the world who have been dropped and broken by the ones that should have been the ones taking care of them. And their brokenness isn't necessarily because they rebelled against God and went out and got on drugs. Sometimes they're broken just simply because they're broken. And that's how this world is. And they're, they're caught up in somebody else's conflict, somebody else's fight. They, they didn't necessarily destroy their lives. Other people destroyed them. And listen, they're out there. And we learn how to shield this stuff. We learn how to hide it. We learn how to look really cool and have it together. But in reality, inside we have spiritual, emotional paralysis. David says, is there any? Yeah, here's Mephibosheth. You have to see Mephibosheth means the dispeller. Get ready. You're taking notes. The dispeller of shame. Think about it. We might say it a different way. He emanates. He is the billboard of what shame should look like. He's the dispeller. He's radiating shame because he's a cripple. Come on, say it with me. He's a cripple. I learned something that there's a tendency for us to not like people that are crippled. We want to be around healthy, I don't mean literally in the physical, I mean they're dysfunctional in some way. You ever, you ever meet somebody that just lies a lot? Come on, help me out, did I get, did I lose you? Oh, the bright lights, I can't, you there? You ever been around somebody that brags a lot? Huh? Have you ever been around somebody that steals from you? No? Listen, and so these are crippled people. There's something broken inside. Can you say amen? Amen. Somebody that's bragging all the time, they're just sending out signals that somebody needs to love me. Somebody needs to value me. Somebody needs to embrace me. And it's a little difficult. You ever be around somebody that tells dirty jokes? No? Hello? It's really bad when you're a pastor, they tell a dirty joke and it's funny. I ain't, I'm 65, 66 years. I still ain't figured out how to react to that. It, it's like, if you don't laugh, you're a prude. If you do laugh, you're condoning. I don't know. Y'all figure it out. <clears throat> but David, uh, so Ziba says, yeah, there is one, but he's a cripple. He's, he is the very billboard. He's the picture of shame. David said, bring him to me. Bring him here. You tracking with me on this? So Mephibosheth means the dispeller of shame, and shame, or lame in, that, in their day equals shame. And, and, and Ziba said, well, you know, he's over in Lodabar. You look at Lodabar and you find out what Lodabar means is no pasture. Now they're in an agricultural-based uh, economy. Everything in the Bible is, you know, fields and, and uh, harvest and, you know, baskets and and vineyards and all that kind of stuff. And, and so Lodabar is a place that has no pasture. There's no 
There's no sustenance there. There's no way to keep you healthy, keep you going. It's, it's not a flourishing place. It's, it's, a, it's a dry place. And, and so here's Mephibosheth banished to a place where there's no, it, actually, if you look at the Hebrew, it says it three different ways. It says there's no pasture. Another thing it says is that there's no word. And I was trying to figure out what that means. But then the last one in Strong's, it says uh, it's a place of no communication. And, I, and I've, 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 I've learned something that, that sometimes people are so, you know, Satan's job is to get people isolated. Yeah. To cut them off from, from uh, any connection. Now, how many know it is, it, uh, in, a, in a large crowd, you have militancy. In a small group, you have intimacy. Yeah? And, and by the way, I believe that the church from the very beginning has been ground zero target for the COVID thing. Spiritually speaking, I'm not badgering, badgering any government entities. But I believe that at the core of all of this is Satan's attempt to get the body of Christ separated and isolated. Somebody say amen. amen. So we're working hard as leaders to figure out how we can get people together without killing them or making them sick. Can you say amen? amen. And we're doing it. It's, pastors all over the country are figuring out how to get it done. But the reality is you've never seen a mob of one. Huh? You know, I'm going to riot and get my way. You don't say one guy goes out there and he's a mob and he's on the... No, we, there's power when we come together, amen? And we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That's a great scripture in, in Hebrews. But why is more important than what? And the reason is, is that as things get difficult or a challenge... The, the more we need to, uh, we, we glean from, we just, you know, it's, what do they say? The banana that gets separated from the bunch gets peeled, right? And, and if, if, if getting together isn't important, we spend a lot of time and centuries and money building cathedrals around the world for nothing. Can say amen. amen. So getting together, but getting together healthy and safe is our challenge right now. At any rate, here's Lodabar, no communication. He's isolated. Uh, he's in Lodabar, Mephibosheth, who's the dispeller of shame. He's, he's isolated. Uh, there's no communication. Uh, you might put in there rejected. And I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people. They look tough. They look healthy. But inwardly, if you could slice them open, there's a hole in their soul. And they've never yet received the invitation to the king's table. And a lot of times they don't even know the king's got a table. You know, in the Old Testament, the only guy that one time David said somewhere, he said about God, he said, you're like a father to the fatherless. That's the closest I could get to that in the Old Testament. But then you look at David sitting out on the side of the mountain and singing and taking care of his father's sheep. And, and he says, he, 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 he says, for the Lord is my shepherd. You know, uh, the Lord is my shepherd. And, and he says, and you, and he prepares a table before me in the presence of my, can, can you say adverse circumstances? That no matter how things are going, there is a table back at my father's house for me to come to. Amen. And David understood that even in the Old Testament. So Mephibosheth is banished to the back. He's isolated. There's no communication. He's so lost that his, that his father's closest friend didn't even know he existed. I, I'm going to give you six, uh, six observations here uh, about surviving earth. How many, <laughs> you know, sometimes this place is nice, but how many know sometimes it's mean to us? I ain't hear no amens. I'm panicking right now. How, how many know that earth living here, a lot of times is nice, but a lot of times it, it, you feel like you're in a meteor storm, right? And problem after problem just keeps bowling. It's like you're the pin and the bowling balls are just coming at you. We have to survive earth to get to glory. And we have to survive earth without losing our victory. We have to survive earth without getting so... Uh, uh, calloused and cocooned emotionally where we don't care about other people. Can you say amen? And hurt sometimes will do that to you. 
You, you say, man, it's just safer just kind of pulling down the bat shields and just, you know, I'll take care of my, my, you know, my situation. I don't care about anybody else. We have to survive Earth. Let me give you a few observations. Mephibosheth was dropped and broken by somebody else's war. Everybody that's struggling didn't cause that. They didn't bring it on themselves. Some did, but sometimes it's your, it's, it could be your father. It could be your boss. It could be a lot of other people that wounded you in some way or another. And, and yet we have to give meaning to those things. We have to give them an interpretation and we have to properly put the, the wounds away so that they're not, uh, they're not uh, affecting tomorrow, you know, our, our future. If you're tracking with me, just say, yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and so we go through these experiences that we lose our career, we lose our job, someone disappoints us in a way that they were so important and they let us down and there's hurt and there's, you know, there's things that we don't understand about God. My dog died. Why did my dog die? I prayed that my dog wouldn't die, but he died anyway. Doesn't God, has anybody ever had these thoughts besides me? And we have to give them meaning and interpretation. We have to have scripture to know how to process them in a healthy way rather than an unhealthy way. And we have to make sure that there's no hole forming in our soul and that we're not living with damaged emotions that we've kind of built a partition and moved around behind it and put up a, you know, listen, I can be a great guy from the car to the front door of this church. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but if you live with me, I might be a real... Loser. <laughs> I didn't hear my wife say amen there, so that's a good, good sign. And what I'm saying is that we can fake it for a few minutes at church, but sometimes we're the walking wounded. And whether they're good things that took place or bad things that take place, they still shape our worldview of things. This is why we need the Word of God buried deep in our hearts. And I hate to say it this way, but we can become like fish that swim in a polluted stream. We're trying our best to not be conformed to this world, but reality is we, we hear things, we see things, we experience things, and, and they are having their impact or influence on our lives. I learned something years ago that every, every individual has to be unlocked. I didn't know this, but, you know, before I can love you, I have to first be loved. We're born as babies, we're a clean slate, there's nothing, you know, and, and so we, we're going through life now and we're maturing and growing up and, and, and how many know that you, sometimes you can have a 12-year-old boy in a 40-year-old man's body? Yeah? Yeah, yeah, he's grown physically, but emotionally, spiritually, he's still a baby, right? There, I know there's none in here, you know, but they're at that other church over there, you know, I'm saying. Uh, and, and so, and these things, uh, these things shape our lives and, and, uh, and, and as we get older, we, we kind of learn how to live with them. But what we really need is the healing power of God yes. to come and he'll do this through people who will unlock you or, or he'll, he'll do it just through a sovereign act of the Holy Spirit. Well, I, I know for myself, I was, um, way into adulthood and the Lord was just healing me like the layers of an onion. It's like this got taken care of. And then six months later, this got taken. And then pretty soon, all of a sudden, you're enjoying your place at the table. And, and you're no longer fighting life. You're enjoying life. Can you say amen? And, and, and you hear these songs like, where would I be without Jesus? And you say, yeah, because I know where I would be without Jesus. Amen. And so we have to be unlocked. For, for you to love others, you have to first know that somebody loves you. And sometimes the caretakers in our lives weren't capable of doing that. But there is one who can. And you say amen. amen. So when we look at David, we can see the Father's heart at times reaching out to the broken, the, the banished, the shame, saying, I want you at my table. Lodabar was a place where there was no connection or communication, but Jerusalem, where he moved to, with the invite from the king, was called the city of God. I don't know about you, but I would rather live in the city of God than in Lodabar. Can you say amen to that? And so the Lord will, uh, uh, there's times where the Father God will step in and, and supersede what's going on in our natural world or our natural life and he'll just love you right on up to the table. 
Amen. And I, I, you know, I don't know anybody much in here. And I would dare say there's some that are in here that are still waiting, calling on God. Maybe you didn't even know you're locked, but you need to be unlocked where you're free to just put it out there and love others. How many know he that has no legs cannot carry another? Yeah, I can't give to you something I don't have. But once the Lord brings me to the table and I begin to realize the heart of God, then I begin to realize that, hey, he wants this for, for you, for you, for you, for you, for them. Amen. Amen. And so Satan seeks to separate or isolate us. But our Father is giving us an invitation to the table. Now, this subject is about neighbors. And Jesus told us exactly in Luke chapter 10 what a neighbor looks like. Remember this, 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 the Good Samaritan? And he ends that, uh, that whole thing with, well, which one of these do you think is, is in essence, the, the most like a neighbor? And when you go back and look at the answer to that, well, this, you know, they had the Levite, the priest. What was the difference between these three guys? The Levite and the priest put themselves first. They put their security first, their own interests, their own convictions, their own whatever. They just didn't see this guy as anything more than an inconvenience, so they crossed the street. But the Samaritan saw him as broken. And instead of putting his own security and safety first, he, he, he takes his... Uh, I don't even know what brand's out there now, but I want to say Arrow shirt, but then that'll put me back at, I think, I think Maxwell Smart wore Arrow shirts, I don't remember. But anyway, he, he goes and he rips up his shirt into bandages and he pours in his oil and his wine and he takes care of this guy who's, who's broken. And he's with no regard to his own safety, his own schedule, his own interests or passions. And then Jesus winds this thing up with, now, which one of these do you think is the neighbor? And so we don't need to go very far to find out what a neighbor should do or should be. It's very simple. Put them first. Amen? Yes. All right. How am, I, how am I doing with time? I still have an hour and a half, right? So what I see in this story is that God has called every one of us to do the same thing. To be includers. Can you say that with me? Includers. How, how many know that we will never win someone to the Lord that's outside of our circle of love? If there's somebody you don't like or you disregard or you just write them off, listen, don't tell them about Jesus. And for sure, don't tell them about New Hope. Don't tell them you go to New Hope. What's another church around? If you're one of those baptized in lemon juice people that's out there, you know, beating people with a 10-pound Bible, and you don't love them, tell them you go to the other church over there. Don't tell them you go here. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll never get a chance to do this again, so I'm going to lay it on, right? Uh, <clears throat> because the gospel message is to be shared on a platform, a platform of love and affection for that person that we're sharing the gospel. We're not, they're not notches on our gun. Oh, I want another one. You know, he dropped to his knees and said the sinner's prayer and praise God, I look good. That's not what the, uh, you know, a better word for evangelism is includers. Instead of, you know, you're, we're just includers. We're like Mr. Rogers. We just open our heart and our arms and say, you are welcome here. Amen. I'm not talking about no boundaries or, you know, worms for Jesus or any of that kind of stuff. But we open our hearts and we understand that they are under construction and God is drawing them by his spirit. And that if we can show them the love of God and the goodness of God, like David said, then maybe they'll get, they'll find out that there is an opportunity to sit at the king's table for the rest of my life. Yes. So I think it's, uh, uh, to me, being a neighbor, a good neighbor is being an includer. It's, it's, it, our cry is, give me the heart of Jesus. Give me the heart of Jesus. I want to be the... You know, somebody say, well, Jesus said a lot of tough things. Yeah, but he always said it to the religious people that stood in the way and wouldn't let others to the table. Right? And he would see people... Look, the woman at the well obviously was a messed up person. I didn't get any amens there. You've been married five times. The guy you're shacking up with now is not your own. you got issues, woman. But she was accepted and she picked that up that she was accepted. 
It bugged the Pharisees to death that Jesus would recruit a, a, a tax collector or these, these lowly fishermen. It just tore them up that he would uh, eat with sinners. But that was the heart of Jesus. Jesus was an includer. You look at Matthew 14, you don't need to turn there. Chapter 14, verse 14, it says that Jesus went, then he saw the people, and the, it said he saw the crowd, and then he was moved with compassion. You don't, you don't reverse that. You don't get moved with compassion and then go and find them. You go out there with the heart of Jesus, and guess what? You'll see the need, you'll feel the, you'll feel the cry, and you'll be moved with compassion. There's no, no problem there. Hospitality is God's idea. Okay, I didn't get an amen there. So I'm start over. Let's go back, uh, Amanda. <laughs> Hospitality is not the work of the Holy Spirit. That's our job. Yeah. You say, well, you know, it's not a, a social gospel. Listen, we have to build a platform uh, to have authority to speak. And if people don't like me, they're sure not going to like what I'm saying. And so there's a certain element uh, of, of winning them to us first and then pointing them to Jesus. We don't want them to stop with, well, aren't you a cool guy? But, but we want to open up their bat shields. We want to open up their defenses. We want to get them to where they might could trust us a little bit and listen to what our message is. And then as we, and we do that through the power of hospitality. I don't know, there's probably not very many businesses in the world that gives their sales reps, uh, uh, that fails to give them some kind of expense account. And the reason is, is they want that rep to sit across the table or what in the world, they may want them to have drinks, but they know that it's important to build the rapport first so that they can, you know, ask for the, for, for, for the buy. And, and, and there's, there's very few companies and probably none right now that COVID hit that are still in business who don't see the value of winning people to them before they try to get something from them. So uh, relationships are the currency of the kingdom. Last week we were writing, Pastor Tom said, what would you do over th 36 years at Desert Rain Assembly of God in Downey, California? He said, what would you do over? I said, well, I worked really, really hard. But I think if I was starting over, I would spend more time building relationships. And, 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 the, and the reason is, as I look back over my life, every major uh, breakthrough, every major success, it's like every time there was some big uh, aha moment where we're stepping up, uh, doors opened or whatever, God used somebody in my life that knew me. You know, a door opens for vocation, guess what? Somebody knew you and they put your name on the list. And so I think I would spend, because in the world we get things done with money, but in the kingdom, God gets things done through relationships. Relationships are the currency of the kingdom. Hospitality is... is what? what happened? All right. I think that's the, the two-minute warning there, so let me wind this down. Hospitality is a requirement for the for elders in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Remember, he must be a lover of hospitality. Must be important, huh? Hospitality is the gateway to quality relationships. It's the, that's where you start. Hospitality. How many one another's do you find in the New Testament? You know, pray for one another. You know, it's really hard to pray for somebody when all you know is you saw them from, you know, their big ears, their bald head in church ahead of you. But if you know them, if you know, if you're, inter, you know, if we're incorporated, our lives are converging. And then it's easy to pray for them when they need prayer. Amen. You ever try to pray for a country you never heard of? What do I pray? Lord, help, you know, Lord, just take care of the world. You know, it doesn't work. But there's one another's, pray you one for another, bear one another's burdens, you know, you know confess your faults one to another. It's all done in the context of relationships. I thought Pastor Matt did a great job last week of, 
of, of showing how the, the woman opened her home in hospitality and welcomed Elijah in. And by the way, two chapters later, if she had not, she would have lost her son because the fact that she invited the prophet in with her gift of hospitality, he was there when she needed him a few weeks later or whatever it was there. And I always think, well, her, she would have lost her son if she had said, no, I got enough food for me and you find your own. But she had the gift of hospitality. So Mephibosheth is, you go down to verse 13, Mephibosheth winds, the end of the story as it says that in, in chapter 9 of verse 13, so Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table. It was still lame on his feet, but he was at the king's table in Jerusalem now, instead of banished, no communication in Lodabar. And I see this really as a picture of salvation. This is what it is. This is a lot of times people are dropped and broken. Maybe some are here today. You've been dropped and broken by others. You might have busted up yourself through foolishness, mistakes, blindness, uh, rebellion. But I want you to know it doesn't really matter how we got lame. What matters is whether we get the invitation and whether we respond to that invitation. We're all called to be includers. We're called to be lifters. We're called to be good neighbors. I remember we, in Los Angeles years ago, many years ago, there was a guy across the fence from us. He was mean to his kids. He's a big old giant of a guy, six foot something. Uh, I still remember his name, I won't say. But uh, I could hear him yelling at his kids and just mean and, and intimidating. And, and one day I was out mowing my grass with the push mower. And, uh, and the Lord spoke to me to go mow his grass. So I just pushed my lawnmower right over there and I mowed his grass, you know, no big deal. You know, if you live in L.A., trust me, the, the lawn's about the size of this table. But I mowed his grass and, and I'll never forget when he saw that, this big old intimidating, loud, angry guy comes over and he's fumbling for words to say, well, I got to mow your grass. Or I got to, you know, he just didn't know how to to receive the fact that somebody cared enough just to do a simple thing. You ever think about, we wash our car, we buy our groceries, we take care of us, but we hardly ever think about the others. When I was growing up, there was this acronym, JOY, Jesus first, others second, and you last. And I think this is God's idea of what a neighbor looks like. For those of you that are here today and you've been dropped and broken, can I tell you something? You don't have to stay that way. You don't have to have damaged emotions. You don't have to live in Lodabar. You can come right on up to King's table in the city of our God Amen. with this invitation that we're about to give right now. The Holy Spirit can touch you with a hot finger right here before we leave this room and fix what you've been carrying around, either knowingly or secretly, for many, many years. For a lot of years as a young adult, I was angry. At, and I thought, you know, looking back, I always said I was angry at my dad. I'm not sure what I was angry at. I'd been through a lot of uh, heart, uh, you know, heartbreak. But I didn't even know I was angry. That's the problem. So maybe even here this morning, the Holy Spirit says, you know, I can fix that for you. And then there's others here who say, well, I don't need this. I'm healthy. I'm happy. I'm, I'm well-adjusted and self-actualized and all that stuff. No, I want to just say to you, then you're ready now to go out and help others. You're ready to be the includers. Would you, would you step with, step, stand up with me, please? And I'm going to say this, and Pastor Tom may blow me away. I know my wife will, but she'll forgive me. I remember years ago, we'd been going through really hard times out there in L.A. And, uh, and I was numb inside. So help me, you guys. It was Easter Sunday morning. If you know anything about pastors, Easter Sunday is the Super Bowl. It's your biggest crowd. When you're off at conventions, you tell people the size of your congregation and you go back to Easter Sunday, right? <laughs> you know? And people are in the altar and they're getting saved. Several, quite a few people were getting saved. The house was full. 
And I was up there, and while I was trying to pray for them, it hit me that I don't feel a blessed thing right now. And I discovered that my give a damn was broken. Now, I looked it up in the dictionary. I can say that. That I didn't care whether they were damned or not. My give a damn was broken. I took a sabbatical, first one I'd ever had. Because it had to get fixed, or I couldn't keep doing what I was doing. I wasn't going to go to fool people and walk them through the, you know, you, you do this for 40 years, you can do it. But I wanted it to be real. And maybe there's somebody in here today that you have been through battles, hurt, pain, where the only way you can survive earth is that your give a damn's broken. You just don't really care about them. I'm looking after me and my thing. If you would just bow your heads right now, you don't need to confess to anybody, just confess to the Lord. And I'm going to pray for you, okay? And there, we're going to pray two different directions here. Some, uh, you are well and healed and, and you can celebrate this message and go out and share and invite and, and bring people to the King's table. You're ready for that. Others are needing some work done inside to be able to do this proficiently. But I'm going to pray for both of you, okay? So if you would, just bow your heads. Father God, you are an awesome God. You are our Father when no one else can be our Father. We thank you today for your dear Son, Jesus, who gave us, Paul said, access to the Father. That before we were isolated and banished, but today we are welcome seated with Him in heavenly places. And he enfolds and wraps us in his care. And our identity is in who he says we are, not in who the world told us. And I pray today for anybody that's in this room that's been beat up, that's been dropped, broken in any way, shape, or form, fashion. I pray right now that the Holy Spirit would do what you always do, Holy Spirit, is you just at an invitation and then right now your part is to say God I want this and the Holy Spirit will come and he will heal he, he may do it suddenly instantly or he may do it uh, progressively or incrementally but at his invitation Father God I want everything that you have for me I don't want a hole in my soul I don't want to be cocooned or I don't want to be isolated I want to just be free to share the goodness of God to those that have never tasted it. How many understand there's people that's never tasted one slice of the bread of life? And we are their lifeline. Help us to use the power of hospitality to everything in, in, in everything that we to develop the skills so that we can communicate the message. You are welcome here. That you have a place here. That you fit here. I'm not just concerned with people coming to New Hope as a guest. I want them to come back a second time and a third time and a fourth time because when they came here, they recognized there, there was genuine embracing. Thank you, Father God. And then I pray for those of us that have held back, didn't know what to do. Lord, that you would liberate our hearts and our minds, that the, tomorrow you would give us divine appointments and we would recognize that moment and give them an invitation and show them the goodness of God. We thank you, Lord, that you've permitted us to experience your goodness today in this house. God bless the people of this house today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.